0: Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles, your favorite true crime podcast. I am Donnie, and with me is a man that wants everyone to know that he used to drink beer a long time ago. Well, he still drinks beer today, he just wanted everyone to know that he (laughs) drank beer a long time ago. It's Dale. Hey, hey, what's going on? What's going on, man? (laughs) What's going on with you? That's right, man. Yeah, he just wanted everybody
1: to know. I want everybody to know. Yeah. (laughs) What do you not know?
0: (laughs) Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. (laughs) That's right.
1: It is the gift that keeps on giving. It is, man. In and out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get a Yeah. That's right, man. Yeah.
0: What's happening today? Oh, recording an episode. What's happening with you? Oh,
1: man, it was a big day, wasn't
0: it? Yeah, me and Dale, we uh, took a field trip today. We did. We did. We by uh, back and recording, but we uh, went to the courthouse today.
1: It, it, was really, uh, it was really neat. Very. I mean, I, I've never, well, you know, I'm, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I've never been in the courtroom while a real court was in session. I've been in one to, uh, like, recover all the benches and stuff when nobody's there, but as far as going there while the... This, the seriousness is going on that was my first time witnessing that
0: well they're de- planting if and defending if yeah and stuff yeah doing yeah
1: except t- for Perry Mason that's all I know you know yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah we went to a part of a trial today
1: yeah we went down to Shelby Court House and check it out and just walked in to kind of observe and see what was going on we both had a little time this morning so it was a uh, it was a uh, very interesting
0: yeah there's a trial going on that me and Dale are familiar with so we Went in there and listened to a little bit of it.
1: Yeah, I wish we could have got more. Our stage for a little more, but you know, they they broke pretty quick for for lunch, and then we had to get back to you guys. So we did what we could do, and we're here where we want to
0: be. Yep, that's right. But other than that, you got anybody a shout out, or anybody you want to talk about?
1: Yeah, man, I do. Uh, want to give our friend uh, over at the Pretty Boy Floyd Camp. You know, the band from the '80s and '90s is still going now it's uh actually they were kind of featured on the peacemaker series with john cena i don't know if you saw that or not but mm-hmm. like he had a shirt or the girl had a shirt whatever and i guess they got a little resurgence of off that a little bit tension but anyway uh i hit him up and got a t-shirt from him and ended up found out that they had some records and you know that i can't say no to records and uh ended up buying a couple records a couple albums and then uh, a couple seven inch records too and man he sent me that and a couple shirts and couple of little extra goodies so i just wanted to give uh our buddy steve summers he's a lead singer for pretty boy floyd give him a shout out and tell him how much i appreciate what he did for me everything was signed it was really cool all, every record and he actually sent me an extra cd too no charge and uh it was all signed every one of them was signed and it was really cool so uh, i text him back told him how much i appreciated him and i'll give him a shout out and uh, i'll throw a photo up of this this uh, or mahal on on our socials and uh, a little more information. You can find him at uh Steve Summers on Facebook or Pretty Boy Floyd Band on Instagram. And uh, how great
0: is it to have a hookup like that? I
1: don't know. It's amazing. I bet it is. It was really cool. Yeah. Super dude, man.
0: Man, that's sh- just straight a- from
1: him. You know, no, no store junk. Just no. message you and bite and go on batch to No
0: middleman or nothing.
1: Yeah, awesome. And it was really cool stuff, quality stuff. He had like a, uh, I got a couple shirts and then he sent my wife a, a tank top shirt. It was really cool. You know, uh, man, it's just awesome.
0: That's awesome.
1: Anyway, thanks much, Stevie. I really appreciate that, man. And uh. I pre- it's,
0: it's nice hopefully he'll listen to this episode and listen to his shout out
1: heck yeah man y'all go over and give him a like and follow and all that good stuff like mm-hmm.
0: you do us we appreciate it yeah listen to their music man yeah yeah if anybody wants to go to Apple Podcast and leave a five star rate and review write something in the box that's we'll, right we'll give you a big old shout out here
1: hopefully all y'all getting crack house stuff for Christmas
0: yeah and I'm not sure if it's too late to buy stuff from the store for Christmas or not I don't I don't know the time work. you hear
1: this it probably will be Yeah, probably will yeah because it'll be what Monday
0: yeah I did get a picture from uh Troy Freedale. Oh yeah? Yeah. Uh, one of our big listeners. Oh. I actually went to Is he how big is he? Troy's a big guy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he's pretty tall. He was t- he was tall in elementary school. <laughs> but uh he sent me a picture, he's a big listener and uh he bought some stocking and stuffers. Oh wow. Yeah. Thanks, man. Uh-huh. So he listens to the show and I'm gonna give him a big old shout out. He's oh, wow. a he's a great guy.
1: I appreciate that. And then me and you stopped to eat lunch today and run into Jimmy Hensley uh He's, he uh, run me down and told me he really, uh, really enjoys the show and thought it was really good and keep keep doing what we're doing. So thanks, Jimmy. It's good to see you, buddy. We're doing what we're doing. We're doing it, man. Speaking of, let's do it.
0: All right. We're going to get into this episode, bud. We're going back to California, ain't we? Yeah, because uh, we're in the same area. It's funny how that works, right Yeah. <laughs> where we were talking about Bryce Laspisa, his mm-hmm. episode. Yeah. The same general area. Right in there. But it's a little bit before Bryce's time. Yes. This is in February of nineteen seventy-eight. We're talking about, okay. Actually, on February the twenty-fourth of nineteen seventy-eight, and this is when five young men from Yuba City, California, they attended a basketball game at California State University.
1: Yeah, that was their their favorite basketball team.
0: Yeah, they were going to cheer UC Davis basketball team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they were in an away game against Chico State. Wow. But these five guys, their names were Bill Sterling. He was 29 years old. So
1: this ain't real young men.
0: No, they were. They okay. were a lot of people refer to them as the boys. Right. But they were grown men. Yeah. Yeah. Bill, it's all hung out together. Yeah. But Bill Sterling, he was 29. Jack Hewitt was 24. Ted Weir was 32. Jack Madruga was 30. They called him Doc, right? Yeah, they did. Okay. And Gary Mathias was 25. And like I said, they were going to cheer the UC Davis basketball team in an away game at Chico State. Mm-hmm. And their plan to see the game was to go see the game and then return home that night. Well,
1: it's kind of like a little inspiration because the, the, themselves, they had
0: a big game the next morning. They did. Right. Mm-hmm. And they actually played on a Special Olympics basketball team. They did. And it was a pretty big tournament they were going to play in because yeah. the grand prize was a all-expense-paid trip for a week in los angeles wow so this was a pretty big deal and also you know sally struthers the actress she was pretty big at the time in special olympics mm. she was promoting it you know and this was during the all in the family she's you know, yeah
1: from all in the family yeah. game. yeah
0: gloria from all in the family exactly, tv yeah. show and she was supposed to make an appearance there and i think the guys were going to have a chance to meet her
1: she did a lot of charity work like that did she, she really like did feeding the hungry and this kind of stuff and was so it's good for her
0: yeah like i said they attended this basketball game And their plan was to return home that night because they had that big game the next day of their own.
1: Yeah, and some of them, they were so excited, they had actually laid their uniforms out on the bed the next morning. They did. For that night, so they'd be ready in the morning.
0: Yeah, but they never made it home, Dale. Hmm. Mm -mm. And several days later, the car that they were in, it was a 1969 Mercury Montego. was a pretty sweet ride. Yeah. It was found abandoned in a remote area of Plumas National Park on a high mountain dirt road that was far from where they were supposed to be.
1: Well, yeah, way.
0: Yeah, actually in the opposite direction.
1: It, it, yeah, it may, we'll get into it. Yeah. Shut up. Go ahead.
0: We're going to get into this episode and talk about what's going on with that, but we want to give a little bit of background on where we're at now. Right. But these guys, Gary Mathias, he had grown up in Yuba City and had joined the military in the early 1970s. That's
1: a Y-U-B-A, Yuba
0: City. Yuba, yeah. Yeah. And he had been stationed in West Germany, but he wasn't there long, and he developed a a drug habit, Dale. Pretty bad drug habit. Yeah, which uh, eventually led him to be diagnosed with schizophrenia, and he got a psychiatric discharge.
1: Yeah, I heard some people kind of compare it to what happened to Sid Barrett of Pink Floyd fame. You know, it was like a, a bunch of LSD or something was what happened to him, and I don't know what happened to Gary, but that's what happened to Sid Barrett. He had done so much LSD that it kind of pushed him over the edge into some kind of... Mental problem, Mary. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm not saying it's what happened to this fellow, but it could be something to that. Because, you know, if he was in the Army and he's already there in wind stations, you know, I'm sure he went through some stuff beforehand and they just didn't know. Yeah. That's or he was either there or undiagnosed, one. You never know.
0: Could very well be. Especially in the 70s. But after he was discharged, Gary Mathias returned home and moved back in with his parents, mm-hmm. where he began treatment at a local mental hospital. And he had some rough starts there with that and trying to, I guess, get off the drugs and Everything he was doing, he had some run-in with the law.
1: Well, he's probably trying to get off that kind of drugs, and they probably needed to get him on something else. But they Mm -hmm. had to figure out what's wrong first, I guess.
0: Yeah. But by 1978, Gary Mathias was pretty much on the right path and considered by his physicians to be a success story.
1: Yeah, because he had had uh, several encounters with the law and then a couple of psychotic episodes. So so I think it got him going in the right
0: direction. Yeah, because uh, he was receiving disability pay for his time in the military, and also, he began to work at his stepfather's gardening business. Mm-hmm. So he had a future. Everything was looking good. It really was, but that wasn't all. Gary Mathias had managed to make some friends. Okay, uh, with four other guys, and we mentioned them. But Sterling and Hewitt of those five guys, they were they had a slight intellectual challenge. disability yeah. challenge. Yeah, while uh, Weir and Madruga were considered just slow learners. Right. But we also army vets. But now these five guys—they were pretty tight. They hung out together, and like we said, everybody called them the boys. Yeah, there's the boys. The boys are going somewhere. The boys are doing this. Mm-hmm. But sports was their thing, man. Yeah, and basketball was their favorite pastime.
1: You know, and I thought that was a uh, you know a lot. Of, I heard a lot of other people talking about these boys being you know challenged and stuff like that. But if they're playing organized sports and stuff, and you know, out there, especially basketball, running up and down the court and this stuff. You know, I don't think I think people don't give them enough credit. Actually, in, no. you know, in some of the research I've done. So, but anyway, go ahead. That's because my two, my two cents.
0: Because two of these boys had driver's license
1: and then been in the military.
0: Yeah, so they were pretty high functioning guys. Yeah, you know, a lot of.
1: People, so maybe it might have been in some what you would call now like an autism or something, or you know, maybe I don't know because you know in the seventies they probably just labeled everybody the same. But you know, I think you know, especially if out there they're very athletic guys and doing stuff, you know, and I just don't. I don't think they get the credit they could. I think a lot of people just want to label them something, but that's just mine.
0: Yeah. Go ahead. But basketball was their favorite sport, and all five men were part of the Gateway Gators. This was a basketball team that was sponsored by a local program for the mentally handicapped. Hmm. So they were involved with that pretty heavy. Right. And if they weren't playing, they were watching. And if they weren't doing that, the men, they just hung out together. Yeah.
1: Whatever they did, they all did it together, I believe.
0: But due to their special needs, all of the five men live with their parents, Mm -hmm. either in Yuba or nearby Marysville. Right. So we're moving up to February the 25th of 1978. All And on February the 25th, the boys were due to play their first game in a week-long tournament sponsored by the Special Olympics, like we talked about. Yeah. And the night before, we said some of the boys had laid their uniforms out.
1: Yeah, because they thought they weren't going to get get back from the, the basketball game they were going to watch to. It might be a little bit late. So they wanted to make sure everything was ready, and they would just come home, go straight to bed, get up, and everything's ready to go.
0: Yeah, and they even told their parents, you know, we're going to get in late, so make sure you wake me up for this game. That's right. Yeah, they wanted to make sure they got up. They not want to miss it. Very important. Now, the boys, they made the 50-mile drive north from Yuba County to Chico. Correct. And This was in Jack Madruga's 1969 Mercury Montego. It was uh, turquoise color and had some white trim. That's what it's been described as. Yes, and it's a pretty sweet ride. I think so. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about you imagine having an eight track player in that thing.
1: Yeah, boy, just slam a tape in and roll,
0: You can roll out, man. Get your uh,
1: alligator print <laughs> eight track uh, case with the red interior. Yeah, yeah, sweet. Yeah, it'll be all right.
0: just sit, <laughs> just sit in the back seat. Yeah, yeah, I think everybody done that. Look
1: like a tackle box.
0: <laughs> yeah, but the only clothes they wore was just light coats yeah you know the temperatures were pretty cold this was february
1: it was cool but it, you know they and even uh, some of the boys that said well, some of the parents of the boys that said the day era actually had a uh, actually asked them to uh, wear a coat and they was like well we're not stopping anywhere we're just going straight to the game and straight back unless we stop and get a snack or something but we're not planning on doing anything so they said we're fine we're not wearing a coat
0: or being outside for any length of time right yeah And the last game of the night ended at 10 p.m., and the boys, they started their journey home. But not before stopping at a store. This was a couple blocks away from where the game was being played. And the store was called Bear's Market, B-E-H-R apostrophe S. Correct. Market. And they were going to get some road snacks. Mm -hmm. The reason they were spotted there, the storekeeper was about to close the store hmm. and they when they went in the store i think it annoyed her a little bit they came in and were just looking around i'm, like, I'm ready to go home you yeah know, they're you're...
1: browsing she's trying to close it down yeah
0: i'm yeah. ready to go to the house i've been there yeah oh yeah people come in at the last minute mm-hmm. but this is very significant that you know she spotted these guys and i guess being annoyed like that you would you def- remember it yeah. definitely remember it yeah but they were in that store and they stocked up on some snacks they got some pies Chocolate bars, some soda, and some milk. And some milk. I think it was a two quarts and a half of milk they got. And then they hit the road home. Yep. And their families all expected these guys to be back that night. And some of their parents even waited up for them to return. Oh, I don't blame them. But when the uh, morning arrived, they hadn't shown up. Nope. And the police were notified. Yeah, ooh, getting worried. So police from both Butte and Yuba counties searched the route for the men they had taken. Yeah. But there were no sign of them. No. Nothing. And on February the 28th, a Plumas National Forest Ranger who had seen the Montego called in the police.
1: So this is three days later. Right? Yeah. Okay.
0: And he assumed it was the car from the cross-country skiers, as was common for that time of year. Mm-hmm. Somebody just left it.
1: Yeah, he had no idea whose it was until he assumed two or three days later when he heard that they were looking for
0: him. Yeah, until he saw the bulletin yeah. and he knew otherwise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And inside the car, the deputies found the doors to be unlocked with the window rolled down. Driver's door. Yeah. Window, yeah. Yeah, which is weird. Very. And inside they found the food wrappers, the candy wrappers and stuff, empty cartons and cans, and also the programs from the basketball game there in Chico.
1: Yeah. One of them even had like the score written down on the back of it, the the final score.
0: Yep. And a neatly folded road map of California was in there also. Mm. Yep, And the goodies they had bought at Bear's Market were all consumed except a half of a marathon bar. I
1: guess they only could go half marathon.
0: I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty good. Though. It's yeah. a real
1: good candy bar, though.
0: Yeah. I don't, do they still make marathon bars? They don't. Mm-mm. Yeah, it was a good candy bar. Yeah.
1: It's like a $100,000 bar.
0: Yeah. But now get this, Dale. The car was stuck in snow drifts with signs of spinning under the tires.
1: Right. But it wasn't very deep snow. It was just... Uh, from what I heard, when they, you know, when it was just kind of off the road a little bit in the snow. And them five big dudes, they should have been able to push it out of that snow, Yeah, I would think.
0: Yeah, because the police noted that the snow wasn't that deep.
1: No, it was just a little spin thing because they hadn't got up into where I don't think where it was deep. It, it was weird. It's kind of odd. Basically, what they did is like a, a mountain road they would went up, and when they get up so far, this mountain had a snow cap on the top. So yeah. they were going fine, not a very nice road, but then all of a sudden you run into snow.
0: It's a snow line, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it may be snowing up there. I don't know. But they run into snow. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like it was snowing when they left the ball game. You know what I mean? That's right.
0: Okay. But now the car keys were missing, and it suggested to the police that they may have run into some car trouble hmm. and went to get some help. But the police, they hotwired the car.
1: Yeah, and, and it started right up. Yeah, cranked right up. And it had a quarter tank of gas.
0: Yeah. So That's a
1: fourth to you and me. It is. Yeah. So what we got now is a car that's kind of stuck in the snow that could have been easily pushed out and the wind is down, the doors are unlocked, the keys are gone, but yet the car starts up immediately and has gas in it. Yeah. Okay. So this is
0: odd. I guess the car led to more questions than answers because um, the first was, why was the car there?
1: Yeah, because this is the biggest question, of I well, think the biggest question of the whole damn thing, but it's... It doesn't make any sense for this car to be here. It is totally the not way to go home.
0: No, 70 miles in the opposite direction.
1: 70. 70. That's 20 miles further than their original trip. Yeah. Hmm. And we'll post a picture of this because basically, when they left home in Yuba City and drove to Chico, it's basically a straight shot north, and I'm not sure the mileage, but it runs straight up into another highway, and then you turn left, and it takes you straight to where the game was. So it's only like one major turn.
0: Yeah, so they shouldn't have had any problem getting yeah. there and back.
1: No, but when you see a map to where they went, it makes no sense at all. None. Why they would be there. No. Because they would go, when you had to turn around and come back down that road, you go past the, the original turn. You will go down past another turn and keep going down and then it, it turns left and then kind of goes into this national forest, goes out and it looks like it goes like kind of across a part of a lake. And then it's just a mountain road It goes up into the top of the mountain. Yeah, it's, it doesn't make any sense at all. I don't understand.
0: This is the C- Sierra Mountains. Yeah, yeah, big mountains, dude. Wow. And the men—they weren't prepared for this kind of adventure at all, Dale.
1: Well, no? We already established They didn't have a coat on. No. I mean, even if, even if they did, it's snowing.
0: That's right. <laughs> and why would the boys have taken an off-road joy ride of the night
1: if that's what it was? Yeah. Yeah. No idea. I mean, I'm sure this, these questions are just. Because uh, we can't figure out no other reason why they was there. It, it just, I don't know.
0: But Jack McGruga, he hated the cold weather and never been up to the mountains before. Right. So,
1: you know, he wouldn't like voted to go there.
0: No. And uh, Bill Sterling had gone on a fishing trip with his father near there once, but he didn't enjoy it.
1: Yeah, so he never went back. No. So it wasn't like, hey, let's go up here where me and dad went fishing. He didn't want to go with his dad. He darn sure do not want to go just to go while they should be getting home to go to bed so they can go for the basketball game the next day.
0: Mm-hmm. But they ended up towing the car. And when they got it to where they could look up underneath the car, they found there were no dents, gouges, or even scrapes on the undercarriage or the low-hanging muffler, despite being up this rocky road.
1: So you'd think they weren't... Uh Flying up the road. No. There's gingerly going around rocks and ruts.
0: Yeah, because, you know, you had five guys in this car. It's going to be weighted down. Yeah. You know.
1: Athletic guys.
0: Yeah. So, either they took it really slow up this mountain road with all these gouges and rocks. Or got really lucky. Yeah, or there was somebody else drove that car up there, a single person.
1: Hmm. Doom, doom, doom.
0: You know, that's Mm. a theory.
1: That is a theory. Yeah. But we do know that the boys were in the car when they left the store because all the rappers in the basketball program with the score on it. So yeah. you know it was one from the game. Okay. Yep. But we don't know, like you said, who put the car there. Gotcha.
0: So like I said, either the driver had been very careful or it was someone familiar with the road enough to get the car up there on this Yeah, and we're talking road road,
1: closer yeah. to, hell, it had to be 11 o'clock at night by now. Yeah. If the game was over at 10, they stopped at the store and drove 70 miles, it's probably midnight now mm-hmm. pushing it
0: okay now it's another thing too jack mcdruga that owned this car the 69 mercury montego was incredibly protective of his car his pride and joy he wouldn't let anyone else drive it i don't blame him. that sweet. yeah and he wouldn't let the car unlocked right yeah
1: well so, with the window down yeah i mean you're gonna leave it unlocked if the winds roll down because what do you care then
0: yeah that's true but he was very protective of this car hmm so while the car was being investigated, any efforts to explore the area were hampered by a severe snowstorm. Yeah, it's bad. And two days later, after searchers and snowcats nearly got lost themselves, further efforts were called off due to the bad weather.
1: Yes, yeah, so actually, they had like a lot of people for helping, and actually, two of the searchers, you know, almost lost their lives being getting lost in there, and, and uh, it was a bad storm.
0: Yeah. So there's no sign of the boys at all. No, nothing. And the families, they put up a reward for one thousand two hundred and fifteen dollars.
1: You know it's odd. Um, uh, you know, well not really odd, but it's a shame they couldn't, you know, get a run across them earlier. But when you know, they were thinking, Hell, we searched everywhere, but all they searched was that straight shot to the basketball game on back. Yeah. They had no idea these boys was seventy miles off course.
0: That's true. But the family did put up a reward for twelve hundred and fifteen dollars, which is almost five thousand today. Mm-hmm. And they were looking for any information to the missing boys. Yeah. And the story had been widely broadcast in the area, and the police received dozens of tips. Oh, I'm sure they did. Yep. But there was a police officer, his name was Lieutenant Ayers. And all these tips that were coming in, he was punching holes in all of them. Yeah. Yeah. He's like he angry. was skeptical, but desperate. Well, they consulted psychics, and one told him that the boys had been kidnapped to Arizona or Nevada. And another said the boys had been murdered in Oroville in a two story red house. Either bricked or stained wood with a gravel driveway, with the number four seven two three or four seven five three.
1: Hmm.
0: Now get this: this Lieutenant Ayers, for two solid days. He drove the streets of Oroville looking for that house,
1: but or yeah. that house number, and it did not exist.
0: No, so, so that's yeah, that's what they were dealing He's with. He's
1: putting in the damn time, no end.
0: He? he definitely is.
1: Credit where where it's due, man.
0: But there were two tips that stood out to him. There was a store in a small town of Brownsville. This was about 30 miles from where the car had been found that the men could have easily made it there if they had turned around and followed the road down from where the car was found. Yeah. It was on March the 3rd. One of the store employees called the police and told them that she had seen four of the men stop at the store in a red pickup truck Hmm. two days after they disappeared. And she identified the men immediately as out of towners due to their big eyes and facial expressions. That's what she went on. Yeah. That's
1: how it made you be out of town?
0: Yeah. Um, I guess I'm from out of town everywhere. Eh?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: But two of the men that she identified as Hewitt and Sterling had went to a phone booth outside the store where the other two men had went inside. Hmm. And the store owner corroborated this story, saying the two men who came into the store were Weir and Hewitt. And they bought a couple burritos, chocolate milk, and soft drinks. And both witnesses were deemed credible, huh? But this left many questions: who, who was the driver of the red truck, and if they'd been there two days after they disappeared, why hadn't they contacted their family?
1: Right. So they're saying two days after they found a the car, knew they were disappeared, that they showed up at this store in a red truck. Yeah, okay. that's what they're saying. Yeah. Okay. Just to be clear, this is two days after the disappearance.
0: I'm going to tell you, Dale, this story is weird because there's little stories within this story. This is a plot of subplots. Yes, it is, because there was another tip the police received that was pretty bizarre. Huh. There was a guy by the name of Joseph Shawns, Right. He was from Sacramento, and he had inadvertently ended up spending the night of February the 24th in his car near where the Montego was found. Hmm. He had driven up in the mountain where he had went to look for a cabin, uh, I guess for a place for his family to camp. And he was up there looking to what the story says. Right. So at about 5.30 p.m., 150 feet up the road from where the Mercury Montego was found, he had gotten stuck in the snow. He was in his Volkswagen Beetle.
1: Yeah, which is pretty good in the snow.
0: Yeah. And in the process of trying to get his car free after getting stuck, He realized that he was having the early symptoms of a heart attack. Yeah. So he got back in his car and left the engine running to stay warm.
1: Yeah, he got out there trying to push his car and felt it coming
0: on. His arm
1: arm went numb and all that stuff.
0: Yeah. And six hours later, he was lying in the car in severe pain. Hmm. And he heard what he described as whistling noise in a way down the road. And he got out of his car and he looked like a group of men and a woman with a baby. Walking around in the snow? Yeah. Hmm. That's what he was saying. Okay. And he thought he heard them talking, and he yelled for help because he, he was experiencing a heart attack. But the headlights went out, and they stopped talking. So Joseph Shawns got back in his Volkswagen Beetle and laid down again. Now, he said he laid in the car until it ran out of gas. And then while it was still dark... He walked back eight miles to the lodge called Mountain House. Eight miles? He walked, he, I guess he recuperated enough from this heart attack to walk eight miles to a lodge called Mountain House where he had stopped for a drink before heading up the road. And just before his Volkswagen.
1: So the, wait, he stopped for a drink on his way in? Yes. He, oh, okay. <laughs> he
0: stopped at this place on the way in. Okay. So he walked back I down thought, after the heart attack. I yeah.
1: thought we were saying he, he walked back from his heart attack and stopped in to have a drink on his way to. Wherever he's going. No. Okay.
0: He went back to where he came from, and he remembered that mountain house, right. a lodge, yeah.
1: Eight miles.
0: Yeah, after having experienced a heart attack, yeah.
1: Yeah, I guess I'd just be in the car.
0: But doctors later confirmed that Joseph Shawn indeed suffered a mild heart attack. hmm But this Joseph Shawn's, you know, him saying that he saw people with flashlights and headlights and things, you know, and him experiencing a heart attack, I'm sure some of that could be... Delusions
1: Could be. Could be lying. Yeah. Could be a lot of things.
0: Yeah, I just don't know. They they consider it pretty credible, but I just don't know how credible some of that is. We'll get into that in theories. On June the 4th of that year, Dale, most of the higher elevation snow had melted, and a group of motorcyclists, they had went up to a trailer in the mountains that was maintained by the Forestry Service. Right. And the trailer was at a campsite, and it was a popular pit stop and resting place for hikers in the park.
1: Right. Because we're still talking about a national park here. Yeah. yeah.
0: And the motorcyclist had noticed the front window of a 60-foot trailer had been broken out. Hmm. And when they opened the door, they, they got a smell. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty rough. Yeah, it was uh, something dead. Yeah. And they were pretty much overcome by the intense odor of decay. Right. And upon discovery... They contacted the police. This little camp was off the road about 19.4 miles from where the car had been found, the Mercury Montego. So
1: 20 miles.
0: Yeah, it us say 20 miles, rounded up to 20 miles. Ooh. And recovery teams spent uh, half a day clearing huge trees from the roadway before reaching the trailer. So this is pretty inaccessible. Right. Yeah. yeah.
1: It was just a, you know, a, a- campsite. Are, uh, yeah, way up into wherever, I guess, in case you need shelter and you can't get it. So they just kind of hits up there and, and stock.
0: That's right. And the, the area was searched following the road between the trailer and the site of the Montego. And the next day, they found remains of Madruga and Sterling on the opposite sides of the road. This was 11.4 miles from where the Mercury Montego had been left. And the bodies have been scavenged by animals, but what remained was autopsies and showed up that both had died of hypothermia.
1: See, you know, I know there wasn't much left of them, so I always wondered how do they how do you tell?
0: yeah, I don't know this was nineteen seventy eight yeah I just don't know how how they could determine that back then, but not
1: wondered that, so maybe we need to we need to get a
0: a forensic person, yes, yeah, find out that stuff.
1: How do you know that yeah.
0: So, two days later, as part of a search party, Hewitt's father was out there helping him. Huh. Yeah, and he made a grisly discovery. Yeah. He found his son's coat.
1: In some bushes. Uh, yeah,
0: his jacket. And when he picked it up, his son's backbone fell out of it.
1: Yeah. Man, that'd be rough.
0: His shoes and jeans were nearby, and they helped identify the body. And the next day, the... The deputy sheriff found his skull down the hill in some brush that was about 300 feet away. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy, man. It is. Now, roughly a quarter mile northwest of the trailer, searchers found three wool Forest Service blankets and a two-cell flashlight laying beside the road. Hmm. And the flashlight was slightly rusted and had been turned off. It was impossible to tell just how long he'd been there, Dale.
1: Right. So we don't really know if this came from one of these men or not. It's very possible because they would probably would have got the the blankets from that you know that trailer. Yep. And, and the flashlight, I would assume, because I'm sure they didn't have one in the car.
0: That's right. Now getting back to the trailer, Ted Weir's body had been found in the trailer on a bed.
1: Yeah, that was the source of the
0: the smell. The smell. Yeah. yeah. And he'd been wrapped in eight sheets, eight, including his head.
1: Right. So this is going to tell you at least one thing. He didn't wrap himself up.
0: No. It had been like he was mummified. Almost, yeah. yeah. wrapped up. Somebody had wrapped him up in eight sheets. Yeah. And autopsy had showed that he had died of a combination of starvation and hypothermia. And Ted Weir had lost nearly half of his body weight, which was 200 pounds. He would lost almost 100 pounds. Hmm. And also, it showed that his beard growth... It showed that he had at least lived thirteen weeks since he would last shaved. Right.
1: Yeah, I saw it was like eight to thirteen, which is a pretty big gap.
0: I think. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I guess maybe beard growth is different for different folks, so it's hard to tell. Yeah. But I also did hear that when they unwrapped him, that most of his face was already had been uh, decayed Deca- and yeah. gone. So I guess maybe his beard was still there. I don't know yeah. how that works. Anyway, and his his feet were uh, really bad. Yeah, they were frostbitten bad. Yeah.
0: And even some of the toes had fell off. Yeah,
1: five. Yeah. And it was kind of gangrenous. Yeah. Is that a word? Gangrenous?
0: Yeah, gang- gangrene. Yeah. Yeah. And on the table next to the bed where he Ted Weir was laying, his personal effects were still there, including his wallet with some cash in it. Yeah. A nickel ring with Ted engraved on it and a gold necklace that he frequently wore it was still there on that little mm-hmm. nightstand. But also, there were... So, we
1: got money and jewelry still there. Okay. Yeah, and
0: also, there was a gold watch without its crystal, which the Weir family said did not belong to him, and they didn't know where it came from.
1: And a partially milled candle? Yes. Well, that, that watch maybe could have been there from maybe a, a ranger or something, had left it there previously. Maybe busted it working on something and just happened to leave it there or something. That's true. Because it's kind of... I won't say, it's not like a public thing, but it kind of is.
0: Yeah. I mean, it could have been left by anybody. Right. Yeah. And... Ted was wearing a velour shirt, a lot lightweight pants, but his shoes could not be found.
1: No. There were some shoes there. Yeah. But outside the door,
0: which is kind of odd. But they weren't his shoes. No, they weren't. Mm-mm.
1: He had like some leather uh, leather boots kind of shoes I think he was wearing, and those were uh, tennis shoes, I think.
0: So him being in a trailer, they were trying to figure out how Ted could have possibly died and gotten starvation and hypothermia. They were trying to figure this out. And they come to realize that no fire had been set in the fireplaces.
1: This is the saddest part of this Diggum story, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, not the saddest part, but this part breaks your heart, right?
0: Because there was a fireplace, and they had plenty of supply of matches and paperback novels that could have been used as kindling. Yeah. And there was stuff there to burn. Right. Yeah. And there was also heavy forestry clothing, which the men could have worn to keep warm. Yeah. And they were uh, they think, were in touch.
1: I think some of that stuff was in a separate trailer, though, right? It was like in a little storage trailer. Yeah. They had like some torches and a lot of the fire stuff and some clothing and that kind of stuff. So uh, maybe they didn't. I don't know. It's just odd. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. We're going to talk about all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And also there was a dozen C-ration cans. This is Army food.
1: Yeah. It's not S-E-A, C-rations. It's C, like letter dash C. Rations. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was, first heard them like, C-rations? Okay, I get it now.
0: Yeah, sea rations. <laughs> and those these were cans from a storage shed outside had been opened and their contents consumed. So somebody had to eat these sea rations. Right. It was
1: in a separate another a second separate shed.
0: Yep. And there was a locker in the same shed held an even greater assortment of dehydrated foods enough to keep all five of these men alive for a year. A year. A year's worth of food for five people. And then it was untouched. Yeah. Now, they did
1: find some cans and stuff outside the door, those bikers, you know, where they had eaten some food. But, yeah. But they starved death, and there was a whole damn enough to feed them all for a year right in the next trailer.
0: Yeah. And another shed nearby.
1: Right, the one I was talking about first. Yeah,
0: held a butane tank with a valve, and had it been opened, it would have fed the trailer's heating system.
1: Yeah, it had a heating system, so it didn't even really have to build a fire had yeah, a heating system in there. All you do is go turn the gas on. Yeah. And, and you know, you'd think you know a couple of these guys were military guys. They had some kind of training. Some, yeah. You know, some kind of. It's just uh, it's just questions, questions, yeah. questions.
0: And there was a P thirty eight can opener. This is an army can opener. Them, them guys had been in the military. They would have been instructed at some point how to use this thing. Right. And it was discovered that it was used to open some of the cans mm-hmm. but there was another can opener there too yeah. that had been used so they had some knowledge to be able to function to save yourself yeah operate a can opener like that and set something on fire yeah
1: at but least if, for a little while i don't know if you would last six months or whatever the hell for a while if of course you set enough stuff on fire surely so somebody'd see it you know eventually. see a smoke or yeah. something yeah.
0: yeah and it also seemed that Ted Weir had not been alone in the trailer, and that Gary Mathias and possibly Jack Hewitt had been there with him. Hmm. And Mathias' tennis shoes were in the trailer, and the C-rations had been opened with the P-38 can opener, like we talked about. So they're
1: thinking that at least the one military guy was there using this can opener? Yes, that's what
0: they're thinking. Okay. Yeah. And he would have been familiar with it, too.
1: Right. Well, we know that somebody else is there because you can't wrap yourself
0: up, right? That's right. Okay. Like we said, the sheets were over Ted's body. Also suggested that one of the others had been there with him yeah. to you know, tend to his feet and would have yeah. you know covered him up.
1: Yeah, because he know he can't do nothing. He, he wasn't definitely walking out to know another trailer. So it had to be whoever was there would have to be taking care of him to go get what they get before whatever happened to them.
0: That's right. But all that was left to do was find Gary Mathias' body. But after two weeks and with little progress made, investigators called off the search on June 19th of 1978, hmm. leaving his emotionally battered family without any closure at all. And other than Gary Mathias' shoes in the trailer, there was no evidence of him in the area. Wow. And it was presumed that he would have not taken his medication with him. There were uh, pictures of him distributed around the area. Even mental institutions got his picture to try to maybe he saying that he may have, might have shown up there
1: well, that's pretty smart, you yeah. Because even if he was on his medication, and even if he had some with him, it wouldn't have been enough to last. Mm-hmm. So he would have slowly spiraled back to where he where he was.
0: Yep. And they were desperate to find these guys. They even, you know, like I said, they had that psychic that come in and tried to tell them some things. They also took on a water witcher. Hmm. Yeah. This is a technique, also known as dousing, and from the town north called Paradise. Uh, they called in somebody to be able to do that. And this is where they take a limb from a tree.
1: So it's like a divine rod? You yeah. Okay.
0: They take a, tr- a limb from a tree in the area and they make it into a shape of a Y with two branches you hold in your hand. Mm-hmm. And they're out there trying to find traces of human minerals. So what That's they're trying weird. to do. Yeah.
1: I never heard of that. I it was like looking for water or something, but I don't know about I'm never looking for.
0: But yeah, they Folks. were trying to find human remains with it, yeah. Weird. But they did find a gray cigarette lighter, the disposable plastic kind, with about it was about three-quarters of a mile northwest of the trailer, and the family said none of the boys carried a lighter. Right.
1: So two bodies they found fairly close to the car, was not they? They did. Well, I mean, I'm not fairly close, but a lot closer than it would be to the cabin. And another body in the cabin, and then the next body was actually above and then to the east of the cabin. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. On a 20-mile trek.
0: Yeah, this, uh, they were s- spread out pretty good.
1: And from what what we understand is this cabin, even though it was 20-mile trek from the car, there was a second uh, trail that was only like 11 miles that went to that same cabin, but it was more of a steep, rockiest thing. And the other one was kind of a windy, flatter trail that kind of wound around and then come back in from the top side. Mm-hmm. back into that thing. That's why we've been so far. But man, a twenty mile trek in the damn snow.
0: Can you imagine?
1: With no coat. No. And basketball shoes.
0: Yeah, just regular yeah, just shoes. Mm. Maybe one pair of socks. Yeah, that's it. It's gonna be cold, dude.
1: Yeah. Well, and the thing about it, a hundred foot back down the mountain the other way, there wasn't no snow.
0: No. They were going up a mountain hitting the snow line.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So and it ain't like it was a snowstorm. They got up there and there was snow all over. They turned around and went back down the hill a hundred foot. There's no snow, and then eight miles like that one guy to the to the lodge. But they continued to go north into the snow. Yeah. Or at least that's where they were found.
0: Yeah. But why would they abandon a perfectly operable car? I don't know, dude. To strike out into the forest at midnight? I don't know. Uh-uh. S-
1: something something is up.
0: Yeah. This is this makes no sense at all. No. Now, there was one theory that Gary Mathias, he had some friends in a small town near there called Forbes Hmm. And it's possible that he wanted the guys to stop there for a visit on the way home. But they did talk to the friends that he knew there in Forbes and all of them said they hadn't seen Gary in several years. And they didn't think it, it would be any reason for him to come by. I don't believe that. You know, late at night. No.
1: Not when they were – they already knew it was going to be late getting home.
0: And they had that big game the next day. Big
1: game the next morning. All they want to do is go see their favorite game, help out insp- their favorite team, help them uh, would inspire their play the next day. They're just going to get home late, get home, jump in the bed, and go play the game. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know about that that theory.
0: And people ask, you know, what about the report of the trip to the store in Brownsville? You know, this is the pickup truck that was spotted there right. two days after the despair. Now, Ted Weir's brother said that while driving to Brownsville in a different car, in apparent ignorance of the basketball games they were supposed to be playing that week seemed completely out of character for them. The owner's description of the two men's behavior seemed consistent with them, as Weir would have eaten anything he could get his hands on. Yeah, Yeah, you know, they bought the burritos and all that stuff, what they said. And was often accompanied by Hewitt more than any of the other four, so they were pretty good tight friends, yeah.
1: I don't know about this, this story either. This is two days after they disappeared. To me, this, I don't know, this kind of sounds like a, i seen a poster and we'll say they were here.
0: Yeah. Because, like.
1: you know, they didn't, they didn't like to use telephones anyway, you know.
0: And also Jack Hewitt's brother said that uh, his brother hated using phones. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to have nothing to do with them. And if he had to do a call, you dial it and hand him the receiver. Yeah. It wasn't a. Cell phone, give it. was just somebody dialed the number and give it to him because he just didn't want to. He wanted nothing to do with it. So I don't believe that either.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot of people question Joseph Shones, the yeah. heart attack guy. Yeah, I don't believe him. Yeah. Now Ted Weir's mom, she had a hard time believing that her son would ignore somebody's call for help. Right. You know, if he'd been present that's why having a heart attack or something. But she believed that he would have done everything he could do to to help him.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah because she she said she would remember the time and one time he had run across somebody that was trying to get to the hospital because they had overdosed on volume and he actually helped them get to the hospital to get helped yeah to save her life yeah this this heart attack guy there's been more come out about him that we've read about or found in research that that uh he was known to do that a lot and uh he would go out and go drinking and then go riding around and, and uh Get stuck or whatever, and said that uh, a lot of people would stop and help him, but he was always real, real bitter toward anybody who wanted to help him, never thankful and stuff. So it just got to where he would be, he would remain stuck for more because people just didn't want to go help him because it's just the way he was and the way he treated him. And uh, so I don't really buy that. Now, he did go to the hospital, and they'd said that he actually had some uh, symptoms and stuff of it. it, looked like he had had a heart attack, but it may not have been that night. Yeah. He might have had the heart problems and maybe he just used that uh, as a cover for being out drunk riding around because they did go back and check about the cabins that he said he was out there searching about a cabin for him and his family going vacation. There was no cabin. He didn't own one, nor had he rented one. Oh. So that was all BS too.
0: Yeah. And a lot of people ask, how did these guys get to that trailer? Hmm. And it was a day before the men went missing. The forestry service used a snow cat along. The road in that direction to clear the snow off the trailer roof, so it not would not collapse. Right, they went up there and check on it. Yeah,
1: so that right there tells me they probably wouldn't. Since I wouldn't think they took that up the the shorter eleven mile trek that's steeper and more hard to climb. They would have went the long way to drive that thing up there, therefore leaving tracks. Yeah, or leaving a even if it snowed a little bit on top of it, that thing would have made you know because it's kind of like a a bulldozer track on it. Yeah, not, not quite that big, but mash you know, everything that, down. Yeah, and you would see the track, so it would leave a imprint, like so for them to follow to, to go to the cabin.
0: That's right, the way
1: I look at it. So that that right there would tell me, you know, that's why. And of course, if you're just getting out in midnight and running through the snow, you don't know where you're going, no way. But if you see some type, well, hey, I don't know if it didn't have any lights, I don't know really, but maybe you could see a little bit. Mm. If you get adjusted to see a track in the snow instead of running straight through the woods, yeah, I don't know.
0: This is just crazy. You know, me and you had a theory on this when I mean, we've looked at a lot of stuff. But one theory me and you talked about was when they left this game or during that game at Chico State. Yeah, it is possible that these guys, the guys we're talking about, maybe encountered some other guys. Yeah, with some nefarious intentions. Yes, and maybe some words were exchanged.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, a couple of them guys were best friends and they would really take up for each other because I'm sure back in the 70s they were getting picked on a good bit, and therefore they would take take care, you know, take up for one another.
0: Especially having mental disabilities and stuff. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. what I mean
1: back in then, you know, because yeah.
0: it's not like
1: now. And uh, I'm sure if if that would have happened at the game and they kind of got into it and then they took up for one another and it could have escalated a little bit, maybe they left, went to that store, came out, and maybe they were there. Yeah. And then what, you know? that's what we talked about you know so well hell maybe they went to the store got their snacks come out and those guys are in the parking lot maybe they jump in and then took off and that's why they went the wrong way
0: yeah that to me and the guys are saying just keep driving just keep driving
1: yeah and then they turned on that road to get away and then end up it's basically I a i guess it's a dead end it don't run well hell it have to be runs under the top of the mountain
0: yeah
1: it's a, like an old logging road or something's way it, way it, in my mind so that, that theory to me seems most logical that they were running from something. Why well, would we it that way? They get, oh no, the car's stuck. We ain't got time to get it out. We just jump out and run. Cause when they found, um, when they found the driver of the car, he still had the keys in his pocket. Yeah. When they, when they found his body. So he had the keys with him. Somebody didn't take his keys. So somebody else didn't drive it up there unless he put the keys back in his pocket.
0: That's true. Cause but- he had his keys. So that's what I'm thinking. They just Somebody chased them, and they got out of the car and ran, getting away.
1: That's what it sounds like. And
0: the car got to spin a little bit, and they freaked out.
1: Yeah. Yeah, They could have easily got it out and went back down the hill, but maybe they were scared to go back down the hill.
0: Yeah. Them guys are waiting on us.
1: Yeah. We got to get away. To me, I mean, and that may be way off base, but that's the only thing in my mind that makes any sense of why they would be 70 miles the wrong way. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know. Did somebody go chase somebody for 70 miles? I don't know. Maybe did they run into somebody and just got scared and just kept going and was scared to turn around? I don't know that either. But if you guys got any theories, I'd love to hear them.
0: Yeah. But, you know, even if one or two of them or three had made it to the trailer where they had the food and the forestry blankets and stuff and right. the fireplace, you know, they had enough sense about them to...
1: Somebody could have got got that fire going
0: yeah to stay warm and and the window that was busted out in that trailer for them to get in they didn't even put nothing over it
1: right so you think maybe they were scared to start a fire somebody then they'll know where we are
0: if they were that scared i don't know dude and there's two
1: the two guys that were fairly near the car you think they that's as far as they made it or do you think they went to the trailer and they're all in the trailer And then what's name's not doing good. We got to go out of here. And then they leave. And then one is not far from the trailer on top of the mountain. That's far as he made it. And the other two made it almost back to the car. And that's far as they made it. It's
0: very possible
1: Before the hypothermia got them.
0: So we got to find help.
1: Yeah. Because I don't know that jumping out of the car, you know, and they would, it would have got them that quickly as far as going up the hill. Yeah. And I'm not, I wish I had distances, but I don't. I've, I've seen a a map of where, you know, of the area and where, where the bodies were found but i don't have exact distances like from the car to where the first two bodies were found
0: it's just a crazy story man it's it's four of the guys were found deceased but gary Mathias, his remains have never been found
1: yeah dead or alive yeah yeah they don't know he ain't been found period
0: nothing nothing about him
1: you know they said the thing about his shoes being there and then other fellas not with the other fella as far as i'm as i know if i'm correct he had like a leather boot type shoe yes so maybe you know he's like well he's not going to use those shoes and i have tennis shoes that are probably soaked to the bone well if he's been there for a while they wouldn't be but that's definitely what not what you want to wear if you're going if you got the option put on a pair of leather boots or wear your tennis shoes out in the snow i mean of course leather boots don't get wet too eventually but yeah it's, it's gonna a little feet more dry a little more protection than what you got yeah so maybe that's why the shoes are there but we still don't know where he went
0: no they have never found his remains or him or anything
1: not a trace
0: but this is a, a crazy story the yuba county five it is yeah
1: yeah you know and there's other theories where maybe they thought that maybe he was off his medication and something happened and he, he killed him, but I don't I don't I don't buy that.
0: No, I think freaked out and killed him. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. No,
1: I've been wrong before, but this just don't feel right to me.
0: No, they I think they were scared something was after them and they took off and they a couple of them made it to that trailer. Yeah, and lived for a while and just <laughs> con- none of them.